This podcast is brought to you by Wayne Baker, the author of a new book entitled All You Have to Do is Ask. Please join Greg and Wayne on podcast number 760 as they speak about power and being able to ask for assistance. Much research has been done on the benefits of asking, but strangely enough, people still have a fear associated with asking because it makes them feel less than or not enough. In Greg's interview with Wayne, they explore how to empower you to simply ask and seek advice and how this will help you in so many ways. You can learn more about All You Have to Do is Ask by visiting www.ask.com. All you have to do is ask.com. There you will find a free assessment on your asking style. We hope you enjoy this wonderful interview with author Wayne Baker about his new book, All You Have to Do is Ask. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Michelle, every time I'm on one of these shows, I really like to just let my listeners know how much I thank them for coming back again and again and again. We're on 10 different channels where people can reach us. Um, it, we're getting more and more traffic. We appreciate all of you out there. Um, and today, joining me from Solana Beach, California, just down the road from me here in Encinitas, is Moshe Engelberg, PhD. And he wrote this book with Stacy Aronson. She contributed as well. And it's called The Amare Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work. That's the Latin word for love. And good day to you. How are you doing? Good, good. Good to talk to you, Gray. We got a lot of sunshine. Well, we do. It's been lovely these last uh, few days here in San Diego County. I'm going to let our listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, Dr. Moshe Engelberg inspires businesses worldwide to be their best by thinking different, acting courageously, and leading with love. His innovative ideas and approaches are deeply rooted in a combination of applied behavioral science and diverse wisdom traditions, tested and refined through almost three decades of consulting with world-class organizations. As the founder and head of business strategies, consultancy research works, his clients include global health and technology companies, federal and state government agencies, large and small nonprofits, foundations, and startups. Um, he has his degree from Stanford University in communications and a master's degree in psychology and public health. Uh, and Dr. Engelberg has uh, published numerous research papers um, and designed and taught many executive education graduate level courses. This Amare wave converges lessons that um, were learned through years of consulting with a wide array of businesses, mentoring, executives, and his own spiritual journey. Well, it is a pleasure having you on the show. We appreciate you taking the time uh, and asking just a few questions here about this really interesting way to kind of approach business. Um, Michelle, you start off your book with this picture of how business would really look like, almost feel like, because you have this whole thing around imagining. And I love the way you did it. You asked the reader to imagine a business where the world was really, there's love is kind of the driving force that businesses exist to provide value to society. You actually list quite a few reasons why businesses exist that many people probably wouldn't think of unless you'd put that there. How would you propose that we evolve businesses to transform 
into businesses that you describe in your book and that you're trying to get the reader to imagine what this world would be like if we had businesses that operated this way? Hmm. I like that question to start us off. Thank you. There are several, there are several ways that businesses can move in this direction. One one approach starts with kind of rational thinking of this will be better. It could be fueled by we may make more money and it could be this is the right thing to do. Fundamentally, I think this wave is growing in part because of frustration where people are tired of going into work and doing the grind and saying, I'm not feeling fulfilled by this or the values of my of this organization don't match my personal values. I need to compromise myself. I don't want to keep doing that, that anymore. Or I can't bring my whole self into business and, and, and I have to hide a part of myself and that compromises my effectiveness. So there, there's lots of paths to get there. I think businesses that say, we are here for a higher purpose. Patagonia is a classic example of that, where the, they're about saving the environment and the products and, and service products they sell and services they provide are a means to do that. Another is living the golden rule. That's kind of an easy starting point. And I say easy because it's familiar to people. And that can be the backbone of business culture. We treat people like we want to be treated. And the higher purpose gets fulfilled and profits come as a result. As you mentioned earlier, these companies, these companies, show that they're far more profitable than ones that that than businesses that focus solely on making money as their primary reason for existence. Yeah, and I I always remember the videos from Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines, you know, the business is based on love and he'd walk around and he'd hug people, the people that worked for Southwest Airlines and they tried to make the environment um, as loving and compassionate as it could be, not only for them, but he, actually the people that flew the airline. Um, that's what they built that business on. Now, when you were early in your consulting business, you realized three big disconnects between how business worked and how you believed that they could work and be much more engaging, meaningful, and purposeful. Like you said, working from purpose and, and value. How did that realization change your perspective about who you are today and the writing of this book and really trying to help businesses uh, become more transformed and aware of what is available, that even being this way, they can actually make the money they need to make? Right, right. Well, it's affected me personally in a lot of ways, and I'm reminded of a... um, the saying when, when I remember going to what used to be called San Diego Wild Animal Park, you may have been there, Greg. Um, and I was there with my kids and there was a, a magic show going on. And at the end, the magician ended the show and he said this, we all have magic within us. And that, that was at least 25 years ago. And it really stuck with me that we, as human beings, we all have this capacity. We all have our areas of, of genius, our gifts to express. And for me, it, part of it was seeing these truths that business is missing love and be able to express, use my gifts to say, this can be different. And if I can make a little difference in a lot of people or a lot of difference in a few people, then that's moving things forward in a positive direction. And as far as, as, far as um, companies embracing this, 
it's it's not easy and it has to do i think with the the recognition that there's a better way to be in business that's still highly profitable and and it changes our markers of success to go beyond wall street and embrace other aspects too well you know socially responsible businesses and you were talking about patagonia and the great story is about you know how that business really allows their employees to be innovative and creative like the people get to go out and surf when they want and they get to go do hikes and they do all kinds of things and that right. creates an environment and it's really also about creating this environment and you state in the book that a mighty wave is growing momentum and force every day is propelling good organizations away from the fear-based business as war fighting paradigm and toward a fresh love-centered approach that uplifts society and increases prosperity uh, case in point, Patagonia, case in point, many other businesses. Can you give some other examples of these love-centered businesses and the differences between, you know, if I looked at a chart and I looked down the left side and I said, hey, well, these are the ways that business, traditional businesses operate. And here's the way that love-centered businesses operate. Sure, sure. Well, uh, one of my favorite examples is Trader Joe's. And that's a mid-sized grocery store chain. It's in a lot of places in in the U.S., not everywhere. So I hope your listeners, at least some of them will have personal experience with it and others will likely have heard of Trader Joe's. And Trader Joe's sells between four to six times more per square foot than most grocery stores. And I think double Whole Foods, which is a little more um, akin to Trader Joe's in terms of selling a lot of healthy foods. And Trader Joe's, when I walk in there, there's just this energy of happiness i feel a little bit uplifted and a little bit connected like yeah this is my kind of place i like the energy here and that's how i define love in this book or amare as you mentioned at the outset is energy that uplifts and connects so the practices that go with it greg one is giving giving employees a reason to be happy so employees at trader joe's have a balance between autonomy and direction if i walk in there for example and say can you can you point me toward the artichoke? Someone will, the, will stop what they're doing. They'll stand up and walk me over to the artichokes. That doesn't happen in most stores. And, and the, the happiness that's exuded at Trader Joe's comes across and it's received by customers and they're happier too. So treating employees well comes first because we, as employees, we can't give what we don't have. So it starts there. Behind that are values. And it's not just values in words, it's in action and, and saying we live by these values. We practice them. We put our customers first. We want them to be happy. Meeting their needs is really important to us. We invest in our people. We invest in making our customers happy. We provide the services that deliver on our promise. There's consistency between what we say and what we do. So none of that is rocket science. And it's, it's, sometimes hard to carry out because the day in and day out of work can can lead us to make compromises sometimes but yeah these practices it is yeah, these it practices, is a way to to operate as you said and i think that you know you have a quote in your book from henry ford and i never thought of ford motor at uh, and Henry Ford as this way. Uh, and it says, a business absolutely devoted to service 
will have only one worry about profits, that they are embarrassingly large. And then you cite six examples in the book. And again, you've been talking about Trader Joe's, but then you cite USAA, Southwest Airlines, uh, REI, Costco, and Tom's, Tom's Shoes. So what is it that these companies do differently that make their profits eight to one over other businesses? I know you've started saying some on uh, uh, that we were talking about. But if you were to look at the top five, Moshe, and say, what are the things that they do differently with inside that culture that the CEO of that company from the top down embraces, what would you say he or she is doing to help make those businesses have those profits so large? I would, I would say they are committed to a higher purpose. They know it's, as, as a CEO, they know it's not about them per se. So their ego is not driving the bus. Uh, They recognize that money is an important byproduct, a critically important byproduct of being in business. And it's not the reason they are in business. I'd say valuing employees and showing it every single day with an openness and a vulnerability and a willingness to be wrong and corrected. That's four. And for a fifth one, I would say demonstrating a love of customers. One, um, one question I ask when I, when I give speeches and, or teach, do workshops and so on is, at your company, do you love your customers? And very few people raise their hand and say yes. Most are, well, kind of, it depends in some days and but companies like the ones that you just you just named, the ones I list in the book, Trader Joe's, USAA, Southwest, and so on, they exist to love their customers. Now, whether they use that word or not, whether they use the word love or not is secondary, but that's in their DNA. That's how they move things forward. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons why they are so successful financially and otherwise. Well, and it's it's apparent when you walk in there. Like you said, there's an energy and you talk about this love energy and we'll get to that, but you know, it's very apparent that whatever they've done to help employees embrace this, they've really worked hard at doing it. And it's now become part of the DNA of the organization and they realize that it works. And you cite the work of Ralph Allendale in the translation of the Tao Che Chung. Hopefully I said that right and the central text of a Taoism. Now, can you explain what is happening in the evolution of consciousness based on this work? I actually thought that part of the book was pretty fascinating, and it almost made me think, are we going backwards here? here? So clear it up for us, our listeners, if you would. Sure, sure. Well, the Tao the, the Te Ching is not, it is a central text of Taoism. It's been around for 2000 plus years, and it has some timeless wisdom that, that I think is helpful in business today and for business leaders. And essentially, it looks backwards and forwards at evolution at a, at a macro level. And, and essentially, it says up until about 10,000 years ago, we were in, in what they call a yin phase. So yin and yang, most listeners are probably familiar with those terms. Um, yin is a more receptive, p- 
peaceful kind of energy. Yang can be more aggressive and, and pushing. And, we, and ultimately, in, in we learn from Chinese medicine, we need a balance of both. So for, for thousands and thousands of years, we were in a yin phase because it helped us survive. So there was more cooperation and more collaboration. And certainly there was, we, people would defend their territory and so on. But it, it was it was kinder and more cooperative, and people would work together towards a greater good. It was grounded in the more peaceful and receptive yin energy. So one way to think of this is that was the thesis. We have the thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And so that, that was the way things were. And then there was what some called the agricultural revolution. There was a shift where we moved from society from hunters and gatherers to farming and that led to the ability to have abundance abundance for few so the people who had the land for example could control things and dominate the people who would work for them and then there'd be there the there'd be plenty more than plenty for them and scarcity for others and that's the yang phase that that the yang phase overdone out of balance where we become selfish and greedy and decency seems to be a thing of the past and right now we're getting tired of that and i think we're and we're seeing this frothing at at, at with such strong wish for change and we see what's going on in our political environment where this um with this this greed and this focus on us versus them is kind of tearing things apart and people are wanting it to be different i don't want to live that way i don't want my kids or grandkids to grow up with this i want our our society to survive so it's evolving into this third phase so from the thesis which was the yin more peaceful phase to the yang more aggressive phase of the last ten thousand years us versus them to a synthesis a healthy synthesis of the two and this is where we really engage with life and we transcend the inhumanity that we've evolved to accept over the last 10,000 years and it, it really liberates us we can take full advantage of our capacity as human beings and that takes place in business and should make businesses far more successful and far more loved and loving and improve society as a whole. I'd, I'd agree with you. I see more of this happening, and um, it is so enlightening to see. And it almost seems at times to me like two steps forward, one back, um, because I do then see um, the adversity of, of businesses that have been operating. Um, I mean, you, you, you take examples of businesses that have either taken advantage or had some challenges, I think in one of my podcasts, I mentioned uh, Volkswagen and, you know, they had the big debacle around uh, they're pulling the wool over the eyes of the, of the EPA and, and then getting fined and now going back and making amends because now they're making all electric cars. So, or they're making more electric cars than they would have. They've actually committed to that. But, you know, you saw, saw things like this happen. And in your chapter, chapter titled, If Your Business is Missing Love, You're Missing Love, you speak about three adverse behaviors, fear of vulnerability, which Brene Brown speaks about a lot, 
incivility, rude actions, dismissive comments and hostile behavior or arrogance. Um, how do these beliefs adversely affect, affect the business culture, the profits, and the ability of businesses to innovate? One of the main effects is on engagement. And there, there's been this Gallup research that's been cited quite a bit that shows roughly two-thirds of workers are not engaged. And that's, if you think about that, that's pretty incredible. If you, if you think of yourself and have someone on your right and someone on your left, two of the three of you are not engaged in business. It's you kind of just show up and do the work and go away. And, and there's no commitment. There's no um, deep connection with, with the organization and its mission. And that's a sad state of affairs because people can't find meaning in their work and that makes life empty and creates unhappiness and a sense of um, disillusionment and so on. And then people will leave the company and go elsewhere. And there's significant costs in, in bringing people on board and training them and then they leave and then new people need to be brought on. So there's the, there's the disengagement and that's pretty fundamental. And that, that creates a web of other effects that cost businesses tremendously. Like I just mentioned, hiring new people, training them and so on. Um, other effects of not having that, that cadre of people who've been there, who carry the culture, like that it's been in Southwest Airlines for so long. And it, it creates an energy of constant fighting when, when people can't be vulnerable and they have to hide themselves, when leaders are being incivil or when arrogance rules the day, there's a lack of honesty, there's a lack of respect, and that trickles down into how shareholders are treated, how employees are treated, how customers are treated, and creates this, this loop of um, kind of unhappiness and dissatisfaction and distrust that serves no one and costs everybody. Well, so important that, you know, the costs associated with running a business in fear are, as you've articulated, are so great. Um, turnover rates, uh, hiring issues, retaining people, and on and on and on, and we can go on. And the human value capital model, which is so important, is, you know, on the balance sheet in most businesses, the human value capital is the most important factor. It is what runs your business. And if you would speak with our listeners about this fear energy versus the love energy and the vibration that both of these emanate in business. Now you spoke about it a little bit when you went into Trader Joe's. You know, you you get a feeling. I mean, I think you get that feeling even when you go to Costco, whether you realize it or not, but it's like, wow, this is kind of a fun place to go. I think people like to go back again and again. And it's not always about just the deals, right? Um, so how are these vibrational energies emanating in business and what's what are the those effects? Right, right. Well I, I appreciate that question in part because the idea of vibration and energy is not something that's typically talked about in business. And I think it's, it's really important and relevant. And it's something we all know on a personal level. We all know when, it's, when we get a quote-unquote gut feeling that, yeah, this feels right or this doesn't feel right. Don't go in that direction. 
So we have these intuitions, this guidance, whatever we call it, and it's tied into the energy. Fear energy is constricting. It tightens us up. And if, for listeners, if you think back on decisions you've made, there were some that you made from this place of tightness and constriction, and it probably didn't turn out well, I would guess. It often does not. And the energy of love is more expansive. So we've all had the feeling on a personal level of being in love with another person and know that that's usually expansive feeling. And in a smaller way, that same kind of energy happens in business, like the Trader Joe's example, like going in Costco. We all have places. We, call, we can do this little exercise of think of a company, an organization you would say you love. Now, it could be one that we mentioned, um, REI, Patagonia, Tom's, Trader Joe's. It could be a sports team. Say, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love the Golden State Warriors. Whatever it is, it's an organization that you have this affinity for and that uplifts you. Uh, Nick, Nikola Tesla, the engineer and physicist, once said, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And love operates at a higher vibration than fear. Fear is at a low vibration, and it brings us down. So even though these terms and this thinking isn't widely discussed in business, these are dynamics we're all familiar with because it's, it's very fundamental to being human. Most definitely. And, Michelle, you know, you, you speak so articulately about the Mare way and the alignment that needs to happen you know, how do you align your own personal values and your purpose with the company's purpose and values? And you provide that this provides a common ground for connections, commitment, and love between your company, the employees, the customers, the investors, the community, stakeholders, and on and on. And based on these shares, goals, and values, how would you advise any listeners today that are out there running businesses, they're in middle management, doesn't matter where they are exactly, uh, to help create or be part of an organization with alignment of these purpose and values? Well, I'm thinking of that in two ways. One is help to create it where there's, in say, a new organization, the other is to shift or transform an organization that, where there's a lack of alignment. First off, Alignment is something we feel. We know it. We know when we're in alignment or not, both in terms of our personal values and the values of our company and just even within ourselves. If we're living life in alignment or if we're making compromises and and sacrificing part of ourselves. So the first the first thing to do is to tune in and know what alignment feels like. Some think of this as more soft stuff. No, that doesn't belong in business. And I don't think anything can be further from the truth. This is very central to being effective in business. And so part one or step one is tuning into what alignment feels like. So you know when you're in alignment or not. The second step is looking at words and actions. So for example, in a lot of corporate boardrooms, there's this gilded signage that says integrity, teamwork, honesty, and so on. And then, and then the people who, who, the leaders of that organization, the people who created those words for that organization, sometimes go off and screw their customers and investors and other stakeholders and so on. And so the words are empty. And, and that's visible. 
that's evident where organizations say one thing and do another. So in, in recent quote unquote scandals, there's the whole Boeing thing where, where um, the manufacturer was hiding information that actually led to the deaths of many people and the crash of several airplanes. And it was in the news today about the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma and hiding money and even and creating this opioid crisis and so on. And so there's some companies that, that very knowingly are out of alignment. Most companies, I feel, are on a, on a more positive track and want to be in alignment, but let the pressures of business um, separate their, them and their actions from their values. And so a big piece of this is recognizing the values and committing, saying we are going to live by these values. So bottom line, it's know thyself, that ancient adage that goes back to ancient mm -hmm. Greece, and recognize when you as an individual are in, an out, in or out of alignment and see if you're aligned with the company, see if the company is aligned with itself and use those values as, as the rudder, so to speak, and make course corrections along the way. Very well put. And I, and I totally agree with you. You know, it's just one of those things that um, in, in getting in alignment with your own purpose and your own values, knowing what your company stands for, what you stand for, what you can get behind and what you can put your love and energy into. And in the MRA way philosophy, you've created seven essential principles. I think these are a great way to end our podcast here. You letting our listeners know what those seven principles are and why would the listeners want to adopt them in their business so that it can transform their businesses? Sure. Well, the seven principles that comprise the MRA way philosophy are treat one another well. And this is kind of the golden rule. That, that we all grew up with, we all know. The second is inspire connection. Again, I define love as energy that uplifts and connects. If we don't have connection, then it's all just transactional. Third is get on purpose. And Greg, we've been talking about being guided by higher purpose, being in touch with one's own purpose. The fourth one that's really important is respecting money. So the Amari way is not at all rejecting money. In fact, it celebrates money and, and the more the better. That's putting money in its proper place as a byproduct of doing good and putting love to work. Number five is choosing love over fear. The vibration of love is higher. It's expansive and invites all kinds of positive things into business and makes businesses better. Number six is taking the long view. The classic example of this is early on Amazon where Jeff Bezos wrote in the shareholder letter saying, essentially, we may not be profitable for a long time. And that turned out to be true. So investors, check your values and see if you're willing to wait. If you are, then come on board. So taking the long view is really important. It's moving away from the short term, let's hit our numbers. I can't tell you how many times, Greg, in consulting, we have business leaders and managers saying, well, we have to make all kinds of sacrifices to hit our quarterly numbers. And we know that's going to hurt us next quarter, but it's all about the short-term numbers. And that just doesn't fly. And that requires all kinds of sacrifices that aren't in the highest interest of the company long-term or customers. And last, and something that ties it all together, is prioritize relationships. 
and recognizing that business exists to provide value to society. And that means creating harmonious and positive and growing relationships. Those are the seven principles. And I advise companies to consider where they are. And and I have all kinds of exercise in the book where people can take assessments. I call them mirror exercises and see where they're at. So for these seven principles, people can rate themselves and say, it's going to be too much for us to change all seven, to get better at all seven. Let's choose one. Let's choose getting on purpose or let's choose taking the long view, whatever it is. So the beauty of having these seven principles is they all interrelate and create a whole that can guide an organization and its leaders forward. And it can be done piece by piece as well, depending on where the organization is at. Well, it's a great way to kind of wrap up the interview and giving people those seven principles that are part of the Amare Way philosophy. And for my listeners, we've been on with Dr. Michelle, Michelle Engelberg, and he has a new book out called The Amare Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work. And uh, you, we will put a link to the website as well, the website link that you will go to to learn more about the book and to actually purchase your book through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or BAM is the Amare Wave, and that's the, T-H-E-A-M-A-R-E-W-A-V-E.com. There you can learn a little bit more uh, about Moshe and his work, but you also can go to his website. What is your website, again, for your business? It's uh, www.researchworks, researchworks, plural, one word, researchworks.com. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, and I appreciate your time today. And for all my listeners, uh, we'll put links to those in the blog entry, and we'll also have links to the book at Amazon so that you can actually go out and pick up a copy of the book yourself. Again, uh, Moshe, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and spending a few minutes with our listeners uh, to explain how the Amare wave could really affect your business positively uh, and have a positive effect on yourself as well. This this work is both uh, at a business level and really even more importantly at a personal level. Um, so I appreciate you uh, imparting your words of wisdom. Thank you, Greg. Really nice to be with you. And, and I want to acknowledge what you've been doing for many years with this podcast. You're putting love to work. You are uplifting people and creating connection. Thank you for that. All right. I appreciate it. You take care. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Amy Jen Su, the author of a new book entitled The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. Please listen to podcast number 755, where Greg and Amy discuss the principles of purpose, process, people, presence, and peace. These qualities help make great leaders become even better. Learn more about the importance of using these principles in your role as a leader and how you can become more centered, grounded, and focused as a leader in this business world where more is always expected. I hope you enjoy this great interview with author Amy Jen Su about her new book, The Leader You Want to Be. For more information about Amy and her new book, please visit www.paraviz, spelt P-A-R-A-V-I-S. Partners dot com backslash our dash latest dash book. Thanks for listening.